Welcome once again to the Converge Podcast. My name is Steve. My name is Nate. And today we're going to be talking about a thought that I had, um, and it's, it's really a thought that I've probably had many, many times. But a couple of weeks ago, I'd, I had the thought about uh, basically in the context of how you train church planters, and most people have a vision, and my experience in networks, my experience with denominations where training church planters are is concerned, rather, is that they spend a great deal of time talking about learning the culture that's going to be around their church, learning kind of the the differences in cultures, learning the love language of your culture. You say, you know, finding a person of peace that can <laughs> connect you to your culture. But they don't focus a great deal on and what I think would be a greater benefit rather than saying, okay, what is the culture that I have around our church like? Because if that is your vision and you don't have anything kind of undergirding it, if you don't have any foundational element before you have that, all that you're really going to do is you're going to try to package yourself to mirror the culture around your church. You're going to try to kind of find strategies, form ministry philosophies. Uh, Even where evangelism is concerned, you're going to try to look like the culture. You're going to try to be like the culture. You're basically just going to try to build a similar culture inside of your church as already exists outside of your church. When I think a better strategy, even when we use the language of engaging culture, is to form a different culture around the gospel of Jesus Christ inside of your church so that you will have something to offer the culture outside of your church. Yeah. We're not saying demographics don't matter. Like we need to know the demographics of our area. We're not going to try to, you know, send a church planner to a place that doesn't speak his language. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be successful. But yeah, what churches end up doing is they just, they seem to get obsessed over okay, there's this group of people like this around the church and there's this group of people like this. And it's like, is there a goal to like strategize a specific gospel outreach plan to each individual demographic? I mean, that's right. not going to work. We have to be concerned about the church culture. And I think, you know, not to constantly harp on this and to to kind of throw third way people under the bus, but I think it's kind of one of those center church uh, philosophies where there's such a passion for, you know, quote-unquote, loving people, for loving your neighbor, uh, for really engaging the people that are there. I think we sometimes take demographic studies and treat them as though they are law, as though almost they are Bible, and form all of what we do as a church, and we have to look like the culture around us. I hear that language thrown around all the time. What really becomes, we have to be like yeah. the culture around us, and I think that's where it falls short, where demographics are helpful. And I've, in training so many church planters over the years, I've used demographics to talk people out of planting in certain locations, where one of two things is usually what I think demographics are the most helpful for. Either, number one, uh, you want to plant a church in an area where people aren't anything like you, uh, whether it be, you know, ethnically, linguistically, you know, whatever have it. And I will warn guys, I will say, man, you're, you're going to have a rough go reaching people. And the biggest one there is, is a language barrier. If there's a huge language barrier. The second thing that I use demographics for is I say, okay, do you want to have a job 
at a church in X amount of years. And and by and large, I've rarely met anybody that didn't hope that their church would someday be able to provide a salary for him and, you know, his family so he can feed his kids. And I say, okay, well, do you realize how few people live <laughs> in the area that you're going to go to? Because I always tell guys, I was like, man, you, you, if, if you're the most successful guy ever, yeah. you're going to reach about 1% of the people within 10 miles of your church. And so, you know, if if there's only 1,200 people in that area, 1% is a pretty low number, and that's saying you're, you're one of right. the best church planters ever. Right. And so you're probably going to reach a percentage of 1%. And so those are really the two key issues that, that I use demographics for. Outside of that, I don't think they matter. I don't think it really ultimately matters. Once you have figured those two key things out, you know, is this a place I want to live? Is this a place where I can speak to the people, I can work? And then secondly, are there enough people there worth reaching? Once you do that, you need to form a culture to embed yourself in that area. You need to form a culture within a culture. Uh, there's a danger in focusing so much on demographics that you begin to waste your time, or even worse, you just kind of form a strategy where you're synergizing. And this is where I've seen a couple of people fall short around here, is that they try to just synergize with the culture around them. Everything that they focus on is, I want to look like the culture, I want to be like the culture, I want to talk like the culture, I want to act like the culture around me. And what's lost in that is a key focus of discipleship in the scriptures, which is you're actually calling people out of their culture to become a different type of culture for the sake of the culture. And that's a completely different mindset. That's a completely different vision. And most church planters that I come into contact with are never trained in this, and they don't know how to do it, and so they never make real disciples through the ministries of their church. So that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about how do we, at Village, mm-hmm. form a culture that is worth offering? How do we think through that? What are some distinctives of that? And I just think I, I want to start by saying your church is going to have a culture, whether it's intentional or not. And what I kind of see is that and this is just kind of how I, I think through this. A lot of church cultures are very unattractive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're church cultures that, that don't give a lot of reason for anyone that is around the church to want to be a part of that. Um, and then, all the, and you kind of alluded to this, and this is what ends up happening with syncretism. Some church cultures are attractive, but not for the right reasons. They're mm-hmm. attractive because they're trying to appeal you know, to the worldliness of the culture around them. And that's actually not going to work in the long run at all. Yeah, and that's one of those real questions is, you know, what is the mission of the church? Why are we doing what we do? You know, what what yeah. is what are you out for? And there's some people that they are so poor at this aspect of it that the culture that they get is just naturally what people bring into their church. And so you have to ask yourself a question as a church planter, as a pastor, You have to be honest and say, what kind of culture is in my church, and is it intentionally coming from something that I have a vision for, my team has a vision for, or is it just something that is happening? And I know some people want to use the the kind of term organically, but really that's just just a term of of you're, you're letting things get out of control, and 
before long, it's probably going to be a church that you might not even want to be a part of because you didn't kind of intentionally put structures, put organization in place to ensure that you had a healthy culture. And so the question really must become, you know, what is a culture worth offering where the church is concerned? Because we have to have one. Most churches have a crummy culture. And and I can tell you, you know, from all of the relationships that I've had with with churches, with pastors, with leaders, um, and, you know, over the course of my life, all of the churches that I've been to, most of them are bad um, from a biblical standpoint. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, even, even to the sense of how someone feels necessarily when they come in, just that's the kind of defining culture. No, I'm talking about real measurable goals. What yeah. do you want to produce as a church? Is that something biblically worth offering? And I think kind of foundationally, we have to look to the Scriptures, and so one kind of key evidence that I see kind of, to kind of defend the statement that the church needs to have its own culture, and I would say a culture that is markedly different than the world around it, is by what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians four eleven through 16. Now, if you're a pastor, if you're a church planner, you have to know this text. This is the one that tells us the different offices, the different giftings that God has given into his church, but then it spells out this is what is supposed to happen through the leaders of the church. They're supposed to equip the saints for the work of ministry. They're supposed to build those people up where the knowledge of God is concerned, where doctrine is concerned so that false gospels don't come in, so that they're building up the body of Christ through the right actions, through the right activities, aiding others to grow as well so that the church may be built up in love. And I love the the kind of statement that he says, until we all attain to the unity of really adulthood in the faith. And when you see that, what you're seeing is the Apostle Paul is giving definition to what the culture of any church is supposed to be built on. It's supposed to be built on the idea of discipleship from Scripture so that Christians are growing in their faith and multiplying their faith in other people. And there's no way to accomplish that without having a new culture that doesn't look like the old culture outside of the walls of the church. And so as the cultures around us deteriorate, which they are, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's really no way to look at kind of secular culture inside of secularism and not say that they're deteriorating. The culture inside of the church should be more distinct in comparison to the culture outside. Yeah. And I think that distinction is actually evangelistic. And so in in saying that we're trying to create a culture um, inside the church, we're, we're not saying not to be evangelistic at all. We actually are saying this is how to do real evangelism in this culture. It's like we have to be building something that as the culture out there is deteriorating, and it is, they see, oh, this actually is a better way to live. It's just that that better way to live needs to be actual discipleship, <laughs> needs to be actually following Jesus. We're offering people a real vision for what following Jesus should look like. Yeah, and that's, that's a key component is I think so much of our focus on what evangelism is, is this idea of going, which is good, 
in a sense. It's just, uh, you know, Steve Timmis gives us the, the vision of the church has to push us out, but it also has to pull us in. And I think most people have a vision, I think maybe even most pastors have a vision where evangelism is concerned, that it is always the pushing out version. But you have to ask yourself, if evangelism is always pushing out, how are you ever going to build them up? Mm-hmm. How are you ever going to have an Ephesians 4 vision? Yeah. And this is why when we do use the, the, the phrase engaging culture, it's a good phrase. But the question is, what are you engaging them with? You have to engage them with a kind of a contra foundation to what the culture that they're in has. It has to be an anti-type of the foundation that they have. And so you need to form a culture to connect them with really before you can ever engage them for the purpose of anything. And so if you're engaging people with the good news of Jesus, with nothing to connect them with, because that's what the church is supposed to be, then you're not evangelizing at all. You might see a lot of converts, but again, what's the biblical call? The biblical call is discipleship. And that's where really the uh, New Testament, the Greek word ekklesia, which is where we get church, that's where it comes from. It literally means to call people out of culture for a distinct purpose. And that's what the Church of Jesus Christ is. We are calling people out for a purpose. You know, I've heard over the years so many people say that, you know, the church is supposed to be multicultural. And that's been a, a buzzword, uh, especially as of late, you know, as we've seen uh, critical race theory kind of impact church planting and uh, really in negative ways. And we've seen that firsthand. And there's this argument that, you know, the church needs to be accepting, it needs to be a diverse place, a multicultural place, and I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. What I see in Scripture is people actually putting off their cultural leanings, putting off and shedding their cultural identity to form a new cultural identity in Christ. Because when we say the church needs to be multicultural, what we're really presupposing in that statement is that all cultures are righteous. And I hope you are smart enough, (laughs) you know, people, to realize that's not true at all. All cultures are corrupt. All cultures outside of the kingdom of God have sin all over the place. And so repentance and coming to faith in Christ really does give you a new identity. And, you know, that's what the vision the Apostle Paul gives us in Galatians 3.28. He, you know, he says there's no Jew, there's no Greek, there's no slave, there's no free. All of the identities that you held on to before you came to faith in Christ now need to be held with an open hand because there's so much cultural baggage that all of us bring into the church that just we've been conditioned with. Yeah that we need to hold with an open hand and say, okay, what aspects of the culture that I've been in, how have I been conditioned in sinful ways with sinful visions that maybe I didn't even realize it with? And it doesn't matter what culture you're from. You have to have that type of a vision because the biblical worldview is going to challenge every notion that you've ever had. Yeah, so we, we want to form that culture that that does have an outward focus that is going to those cultures that need to be reformed to say, Hey, we actually want you to be a part of this, but it's not going to look like, like that culture that you're a part of. It's actually something better. And so actually what we're doing is, is we're saying that the church needs to be both sending people out on mission and pulling people into the Christian community. And the thing is, is churches tend to do one or the other. Mm -hmm. We see that so much. Um, Churches that are really good at going out on mission 
they tend to kind of drop the ball on doctrine because yeah. they, they, the doctrine doesn't matter. What matters is reaching people. And then, as you just said, what are you reaching them with then? Well, you see it the other way too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know churches that are really good in doctrine, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> They're really good in some particulars of doctrine. But if that doctrine is not pushing you actually to want to see other people come in from their cultures, be incorporated into the church culture, you're missing key element of doctrine, actually. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you and I, we have friends. And what's so, what's so funny about the place that you and I have always found ourselves in a very strange place in ministry because we have so many relationships with people on extreme ends yeah. of, <laughs> of the spectrum there where people that are just passionate about getting the good news out in the culture, and and some of them see doctrine as this this speed bump that yeah. they they want to take a jackhammer to get it out of the way because none of that matters. And then we've got people on the other end of the spectrum that I mean, man, their theological depth is is it's impressive. Uh, you know, their acumen, you know, their knowledge, mm-hmm. it impresses me. But they have no missional vision. They have no evangelistic outreach. Yeah. They aren't sending. And the real biblical, it's not a middle place. Rather, mm-hmm. it's a push and a pull. Yeah. It's a push and a pull. It's going to push people who have been discipled right. out into culture, but always with an anchor inside of the church that's always ready to pull them back in to the deeper things of God. Fun. often the mission aspect is yeah, it's being grounded in doctrine and then simply caring like, do you simply care that that there are people that need this doctrine, that need this life that is a better life? Uh, mission is not a matter of saying whatever we can to just attract people. Like, we're offering them a specific culture of discipleship. Yeah, back back when we were getting into church planning, the uh, the adage of a lot of secret sensitive churches was whatever it yeah. takes. And I was we, I mean, me and you used to Ridiculous. really make fun of that because it's just like that's a that's a terrible yeah. idea. And that ended up with people literally giving away cars, <laughs> <laughs> getting people in church, or crazier than that even. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. whatever it takes. The question is, do we care to make the claim? that following Jesus in a life of real discipleship is better and that we're inviting people to join us in that. Uh, Some churches have a culture of discipleship, and I would look at their culture, and there is a culture of discipleship, but they don't seem to care to make the case to the outside world Join us in this mm-hmm. culture. Like this is a better life, and so and we want to do both. Some some discipleship cultures basically make you a prude for Jesus, where it's like you are so shocked by anybody that doesn't follow Jesus and the fact that that they have a different culture than you are and they don't have the same morality that we do, that you can't even have a conversation uh, with an unbeliever. You can't even be in the presence of someone that doesn't have the same faith as you do. And you got to really ask yourself, is that a deficient version of discipleship? Because it is. Yeah. But on the other end of the spectrum, we also, I've come into so many people over the years, when you're a church plant, I mean... All types of people come. Um, oh, yeah. Some of them love you. Some of them hate you. They've got different missions all wrong way. And so many people are like, oh, we got to get outside of the walls of the church. We got to get into the community. And my question to people that are just constantly harping on that outside of the walls of the church, we got to get into the community. This isn't what we do in here isn't the mission of the church. And, and my, my question is, well, what do you mean by that? Yeah. What do you mean by this isn't the mission of the church? Because the mission of the church has to have a cultural formation aspect, or you can get outside of the walls of the church all you want to, and you're not going to make a bit of difference in the world. You're, disciples. you're not going to make a single disciple, because discipleship very much, sure, the structure of the building, 
That's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the core of the foundation. You have to get into the church to follow Jesus Christ proactively, and there's going to be a cultural culture form there. Here's how I would say this: that <coughs> I think I think some people that would be more doctrinally minded don't appreciate this, but we want to be a, have a church culture that is attractive, but for the right reasons. So a lot of these seeker sensitive churches, uh, they're attractional for all the wrong reasons. Like they're they're appealing to people's worldly desires. They're underselling what a commitment to Jesus looks like. They're not requiring change. Uh, and I agree, that kind of attraction is bad. But I want to display a life of following Jesus in a Christian community that is saying, this is a good life. It doesn't mean it's easy. You preached about this just this last Sunday. It doesn't mean it's easy. Uh, it does invite persecution, but it's good. And I even think about how Jesus in uh, Matthew 16, 25, he says, whoever loses his life for his sake will find it. And we focus on the losing part, <laughs> which is important. There's a call to discipleship there. You got to lose your life. But he also said, you'll find life. And to me, that's that's the attractional part of real discipleship. It's like this is like what we're saying is this is the answer to this cultural chaos you're seeing. You can find life here in following Jesus. Absolutely. So what that means is that the church should be both inviting new people in through outreach, outsiders, people who aren't inside, but also a place where a Christian can go deep in his or yeah. her faith. You have to do both things. Yeah. Michael Foster recently, and I thought it was really good, he used an analogy uh, that the church needs to be like a swimming pool that has both a shallow end and a deep end. So the shallow end is necessary for people to learn how to swim, uh, to just get started. The deep end is necessary for diving, (laughs) for becoming a better swimmer, to just maturing in your swimming. You've got to have a deep end. And again, this is a thing where most most churches tend to be one or the other. You know, you get shallow end only churches that attract a lot of people but never take them anywhere. And that's not discipleship. It will fizzle out. Um, but then it is true that you have deep end only churches that are just inaccessible. Like there's people don't know where to start if, if as following Jesus, or frankly, they're just never attracted in the first place because it doesn't appear to be for them. And so we want to be both. Yeah, it's difficult to do both. There are a lot of tensions uh, that are involved, but that's the work of yeah. ministry. That's the work of equipping the saints for the work of ministry so they can grow up in their faith to attain mature adulthood where their faith is concerned. And you know that's even the idea of converge. You know that that's that's what we try to do with this podcast, but that's really that idea of converge has been our ministry strategy yeah. for for over 13 years, really 14 going on 15 years just where um, our partnership in the ministry is concerned is that there must be an intersecting point between mission and doctrine for a church to be able to form the culture that God has called us towards. You can't avoid that. If you want to be faithful in ministry, if you want to reach outsiders, you have to have a shallow end of that pool. That's the missional place. That's where people are going to get their feet wet. That's where people are just going to learn the simple issues of obedience. They're going to learn the the kind of beginning stages of a relationship with God where prayer or even just Bible reading is concerned. And I think so many people who have theological depth, they don't know how to communicate with that. They don't know how to talk to that. But if that's where it stays, you're just going to have a bunch of people who cannot even 
kind of form a taste for the deeper things of God. You know, the book of Hebrews calls it the meat mm. of the Word of God, and these people should be teachers by now, but they only have an appetite of milk. We have to also have a deeper end. Look at Jesus' proposal in Matthew 5, uh, 13 through 14, where he says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, you are a city that is set on a hill. He's talking about distinctives. Mm -hmm. Those are cultural distinctives. He's telling his people, you need to come out of the cultures of the world and form a new culture so that they can have a vision of what they need to be where God is concerned. That is evangelism. That is mission. Forming a culture is not just arbitrarily constructing barriers where the gospel is concerned. Usually the deeper you are, the more barriers you're going to remove because you realize what's bad and what's good. But this idea of having a different taste, having a different vision that manifests is the purpose behind what we do with the church. Now, how could you possibly engage a culture without that? You can't. And that's Jesus's point. That's where Israel failed. That's what Jesus came to fulfill in the cross and through the resurrection, is that you have to have something to engage the culture with that is distinct from what the culture already has. That, that element there of being distinct with a purpose of engaging is, is all the difference. Because you can be distinct, and even in the Jesus example, being salt, being mm -hmm. light, can be different, but if it's not for the purpose of showing people what truly following Jesus is, what's your distinction for? It's not real discipleship. And then, of course, you're just not obeying the commands of Jesus. So you're not actually distinct as you think you are. Like the distinction is truly following Jesus with an outward view of, and this, this is just all throughout the Gospels, and it's all throughout the Apostles Paul's writing, which is why we make no apology for this. Paul says he wants as many people as possible to come to know Jesus. And so you got to have that out for view of, I want this distinction for others. I, I believe it will help them. I believe following Jesus is good for them. Like we have to believe that. And, and I think it's also kind of a, a measuring stick for people. Because here's the deal. When you start calling people out of the shallow end, you really do start seeing the legitimacy of people's faith. Yeah. You really do. And here's the key. In your discipleship, if you never go from the shallow end to the deep end, that's a problem. That's a deficiency. Yeah. That's a disability where yeah. discipleship is concerned. Yeah. And what we've seen over the years is the vitality and the importance of the deeper end of things is that you really begin to see kind of Jesus's vision in the parable of the sower. Yeah. You see whose profession of faith was false. If you never get to the deeper end, you're going to eventually get out of the shallow end. Oh, like yeah. you, Your faith will fail. And, and we see people not endure sometimes. Yeah. We see people get yeah. out of the pool altogether, and they go back to the culture that they yeah. really want, that they really long for, and that's the allure of paganism. And if you are a legitimate follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to grow in your faith. You're going to endure in your faith. You're going to eventually say, man, I'm in the shallow end. I want to get a little deeper 
in the Word of God. I want to get a little deeper in the things of God. I want to multiply my faith in someone else. When you start multiplying your faith, when you start making disciples, that's when you get in the deep end. It's not a knowledge thing. It's not a, you know, a 10 branches of theology test or essay that you fill out. Is that stuff involved? Absolutely, I think it's involved. This is a great tools for endurance. But really, the indicator of, of your discipleship is found when you multiply your faith. And so what we see is when people don't multiply their faith, there's usually a reason, and that's when they start climbing the ladder to get out of the pool, because they want to return to a culture that isn't going to challenge them, that isn't going to seek to make them grow. Um, and churches that only have a shallow end in their culture, those are churches with a lot of phony Christians. Absolutely. So we've got to form a culture that is grounded in the gospel, that is passionate about disciple-making, that has a vision for outward, for seeing others become a part of that. So how do we do that? Let's put some meat on that. Like, How do we actually do this work of culture forming within the church? I think I already hit on one thing. It's having an expectation of discipleship. It's this idea that when Jesus redeems you, it is going to change your life. Yeah. Regeneration, you know, this idea of being born again, it doesn't just give you a potential to change. It changes you. It changes your affections. It changes what you expect of yourself. It changes what you want out of your life. It changes who you want in life. And so pastors who make disciples actually put expectations on people. And, you know, we do a lot of that through the membership mm-hmm. process. Where it's like, look, if you just want to kick around in the shallow end, all right, we'll leave you there. But, you know, we're not going to tell you to get out of here. But we realize you're not going to, if you're not going to go through the membership process here, we realize that you're always going to be limited. We literally say in the membership process, you can expect us to never leave you alone about this. Oh, absolutely. You can stay here as long as you want, but we will never stop bugging you about the reality that you need to be a disciple maker. And and I think it's so funny because I've, I've seen churches not have an expectation of discipleship on people. And quite frankly, you're hurting people when you do that. We expect Christians to be disciples. Revolutionary. Uh, And it's just one of those things, you know, I always get a chuckle out of people when I say it, but it's like, well, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to follow Jesus. You're going to have to actually go the direction that he's going. That's what discipleship is. The evangelical church pretends oftentimes that this is an undefinable thing, that that discipleship is just this subjective experience. And it's like, (laughs) excuse me, I understand um, what some people mean by it's like, okay, yeah, based on your personality, based on your, your life, you know, there are some variables that everybody brings into the game, but it's a definable thing. There, there are places in Scripture where we see this. And the key fact there is discipleship isn't primarily about you. Mm-hmm. Discipleship is primarily about Jesus. And I think that's where 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17 through 20, is, is so helpful. And you know it's helpful for so many things, but it really is a mindset reality, especially when you get to the term ambassador. Mm-hmm. We are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is someone who sets up an outpost for a foreign kingdom inside of another kingdom and represents that kingdom from everyone around you. 
That has nothing to do with my personality type. That has nothing to do with my background. That has everything to do with the fact that I represent a kingdom with a king, and I've got to represent him. And so in discipleship, we have to define it around the values that are spread throughout the Bible and must be attained from the Bible. The values must be defined from there. So much of where we're contemporarily getting ourselves in trouble is we're defining so much of our faith based on standpoint epistemology. Yeah. It's like, well, well, for me to disciple you, I've got to know your experiences. I've got to know, you know, what you've yeah. been through. I've got to know, you know, how many points in the intersectional, you know, you know, frame framework that you fit in. And it's just like that's not discipleship. Discipleship is about Jesus. Discipleship is about who he is. It's about what he wants. It's about his reign in my life. And he hasn't been ambiguous. He's been very specific in Scripture. Pastors can do this just in the way that they preach and in the programs and environments of the church. Is there an expectation of the Great Commission that we're going to make disciples and teach them to follow all that Jesus has commanded? So all of Scripture— you know, is ultimately the expectation of a disciple. Mm-hmm. And you don't do that all at once, but pastors can set the culture of a church as things come up and as the way that we, we format our groups and, and just, you know, it just comes out week after week as you preach through the word. Like, is there an expectation? We take this seriously and we all assume that we should obey scripture. Right. We can form a culture by doing that. Uh, another thing that I think churches can do, and this is kind of bouncing off the idea of Converge too. So this is kind of a small point, but I think it's important. We can care about being accessible. We can care about having a shallow end. Uh, we are in no way trying to hide what a disciple requires. We're going to be very upfront about that. But we do care that there's an on-ramp to this. We care that for people coming in, um, that they can be comfortable as far as participating with what we're doing. It doesn't mean they're comfortable with their sin. It doesn't mean that they're comfortable with not pursuing discipleship. We're going to make them uncomfortable about that. Um, but a lot of this, I think, is just in the, the attitude and language. And, and you know the difference. You know the difference of a church that is that church that that has great doctrine, but just doesn't care if anyone is can be accessible to starting. And so I just I just think it's important that we set an atmosphere as pastors that that lets people know, yeah, we want people to come and participate. Well, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, the old the old picture of a dad who just uh, you know, you have one swimming lesson where they just throw you in the deep end. Yeah. And that that's bad ministry. Right. That, that's that's not good ministry. Sometimes, you know, you have to talk kids in, into just getting their feet wet. Yeah. You gotta talk people into just checking the temperature of the pool. You gotta talk them into sitting on the sitting on the side with, with their feet and that's what evangelism is. That's yeah. good evangelism. And and some of that evangelism is really talking someone into the first stages of the discipleship process yeah. because they're just concerned. That concern, oftentimes, it's rooted in sin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's rooted in in some kind of ob- objection that, that person has in their lives. But you have to be accessible to the point where you are getting people into the pool to begin with. That doesn't change anything about the pool. That right. that isn't just saying, okay, well, it's based on what you want. You know, blah blah blah. No, it's all about Jesus. It's all about his measurements, but it's about having the willingness to love people enough to just get them into the pool to begin with. Yep. Another thing that uh, we're passionate about is win the man, win the family. Mm -hmm. We unapologetically minister to men around here. Um, 
you know, ministering to men is a ministry to the family. This doesn't mean that we don't minister to women. It just means we understand that this has been a failure in a lot of the evangelical church. Um, the evangelical church has been overly effeminate. We're not afraid to say that. And so if we want to create a culture that is going to give families a place to grow in the gospel, we have to care about ministering to men. Yeah, and, and most ministry, I mean, even if you just look at the way that the SBC and Lifeway uh, kind of markets themselves, it's always to women. You know, it's always, let's make women feel better. Even where our seminaries are concerned, we got to make sure women whom we know can never be pastors can come and learn to be pastors, which makes absolutely no sense. We have to be unapologetically uh, patriarchal in the way that we do ministry, because we can't avoid, and you'll never get to the deep end, Mm -hmm. so long as you're afraid that the vision that God has put forward in His Word is going to offend people. See, that's that unhelpful demographic right. stuff where right. you're like, well, you know, we, 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 need, we need to reach women so we can't forget about women. But what does God, in His vision for the church, how does He reach wives? How does He reach children? He wants to reach them by the fact that they have a good father who's discipling the family, and there's always exceptions to that rule. If you find yourself in a place where you're the exception to that rule, we're not abandoning you. Yeah. No, you you need us to do that, and you should really have a background in a sinful culture where you understand why we need to do that, because we need to take men who are really just boys who can mm-hmm. shave and get them to repent of that nonsense, yeah. learn to swim, get in the deep end, then they'll be good fathers, then they'll be good husbands, then they'll lead their families, and then the wife will be one to Christ, the wife will be discipled by her husband, the uh, the children will be discipled. You have to form a culture around the values that God himself has, and God wants fathers to lead families. And so we've got to form a culture around that. Yep. And we believe that that's going to be distinct, and we believe that that's going to be attractive in a culture that's saying the opposite. And we got to trust that. We can't be worried about, oh, this is going to turn people off. we got to challenge men to lead their families. We unapologetically prioritize leaving a legacy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what I mean by that is we are very concerned with our kids, our personal kids, the kids of the church, the next generation. Um, and this, this does come out in how we do ministry. Uh, We care more about how our kids are going to perceive the culture of our church, how we're teaching, uh, than people who hate God. We want them all to come to know Jesus. Like, I want the person outside of our church culture who is antagonistic to God. I want them to come to faith. But I'm never going to present the faith in such a way that appeals to them and confuses our kids about what true discipleship is. I'm unapologetically going to present to our kids a true vision of following Jesus. The culture outside of the church is evangelizing children for Satan. All right, They're grooming your kids uh, towards paganism, and that's where sexual perversion is really found in our culture. That's the idol of our day. And so if you want to talk about having successful kids' ministry, if you want to talk about you know, how do you form a church where kids are being reached, form a culture of parents discipling their kids, of a church that cares about the kids, and we will have a culture of children who love Jesus, who love obeying God's Word, who love honoring their mother and their father, and that's how you're going to reach the culture around you. Um, You know, I think the biggest fight that we have um, with some parents 
is that they're too selfish to care about their kids. They're too selfish to give their kids the best part of their lives. And their kids are rotten. That's why your kids are rotten is because you, you care more about yourself than you do your kids. The Ephesians 4 vision is about giving your life to what God says matters. And God says in Ephesians chapter 5, just one chapter later, that raising your kids in the admonition of the Lord, disciplining them, educating them in the things of God, if you're a mother and a father, that's the mission of your life, to leave a legacy of faith to the next generation. What I want to say here, foolish leaders think that there's no trade-off to be had here. And what I mean by that is you do not have an infinite amount of time. You just don't. You cannot do it all. And if you have kids, then that is God saying that's your priority because you have them. And so you have got to prioritize, how do I arrange my life so that these kids understand true discipleship? And we are still going to together reach out to the world, yes. Mm-hmm. But you can't do everything. And so we got to prioritize the next generation. Yeah, in Acts chapter 14, uh, verses 15 through 18, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are are on their missionary journey, and they're in Lystra, and it's a it's a, uh, a culture that is consumed with the uh, the worship of false Greek gods, and and they because Paul is able to perform miracles, they think that that Paul and Barnabas are gods, and they just want to add them next to Zeus. And they're like, "Did you descend from Mount Olympus, you know, to come upon us common men?" And Paul looks to them, and I love the way that Paul puts it. He he states that him and Barnabas are men. They're human beings. They are mortal men, but they are there to present the good news, the euangelion of Jesus Christ, because, and he states it, he says, in past generations, God allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. And Paul's point is, you're, because of Jesus Christ, that's not acceptable anymore. He stands against the culture of Lystra. And he looks at them and he says, you have to get rid of this garbage and join the culture that we are forming through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying, look at the legacy that you have. Look at the legacy that's been formed here. It's damnable. Now come out of that legacy because God wants the nations to form a legacy of faith in Jesus Christ. Last thing I would say that we do. To, to form a culture worth having here mm-hmm. at the church is we speak about real concerns. We have genuine application from our biblical teaching. So uh, it is in no way, going back to the very beginning, studying the culture around you demographics, no way that we should be unaware of the culture around us. Actually, we need to be very aware of it, mm-hmm. um, but we're not pandering to it. We're actually being aware of the culture in such a way uh, that the church is able to be prophetic to the culture, to say, um, you know, this is what's happening out in the culture. We know that, and this is our response as disciples of Jesus. And we confront that head on as a church. Yeah, Francis Schaeffer always talked about the fact that leaders who have that foundation, who understand the culture of the gospel that needs to be built, you always, to be a good missionary, have to understand what's going on outside of the church, not so that you can just, you know, speak their love language, no, so that you can fight it. Yeah. So that you can combat it, so that you can speak to it, so that you can build a culture worth having. And that's something, you know, Andy Crouch, who wrote the book Culture Making, he talks about this when he points out that the cross of Christ represents the death of the culture of death. What's the culture of death? Look around you. 
It's the one that you live in. It's a type of culture that wants to kill babies rather than care for infants. It's a type of culture that wants to castrate your son rather than teach him how to be a man. It's a type of culture that is dead in its sin. And that death died on the cross of Christ. And so we, as the church, we don't have a culture of death. What do we build? We build a culture of life. We're the people of the resurrection. And that is obviously going to be radically different than the culture around you. And so what I see a lot of Christian leaders doing, they're trying to appease the culture of death. They're trying to negotiate with the culture of death. Well, you can hang on with a little bit of your death. No, you have to abandon it entirely. You have to let it die on the cross. Or they're vague in their applications. Like you've said some very specific things, but what a lot of people will do is think, oh, I have a culture of life. I'm promoting life. But they never named the death. They mm-hmm. never named the babies that are being killed. They never named the vocal voices in our culture that are seeking to castrate children and groom them. Yeah, you got to make that real application if you want to kind of help equip people and say, this is how we're different. You can't just be vague and hope they're going to get the point. Yeah. The life of the resurrection. You want to know how it's spelled out? It's spelled out in God's law, spelled out through God's word. It is specific. It knows what to cringe at. It knows what not to celebrate. It knows what to point at and say, that is not right. I'm going to build the opposite. We've got to stop compromising with the culture of death. We've got to build a new one. If you don't want to form a culture that is different than the culture outside of you. Number one, that's not the Christian worldview. But number two, if you're a planter or a pastor, and you're like, no, 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 I just want to meet people where they are, and I understand the mentality, but here's the deal. If you don't want to form a new culture, you're in the wrong business. You need to resign from being a pastor. You should not plant a church. I don't care what organization has promoted you. I don't care what organization has assessed you and said, well, you know, brother, you get a thumbs up, you get a green light, you get a, a eight or, you know, whatever yeah. the assessment number is now. It doesn't matter. But biblically, you're disqualified. You've got to have a vision for forming a new culture in order to engage the culture around your church that is killing people, that is making disciples of death rather than disciples of life. Yeah, don't be afraid to get specific Yeah, with, with the differences in your culture. And that really ultimately, this whole episode is like, we need to be able to talk about how our culture is diff- different in the church And we need to be able to make the case to people that the outside culture is killing. We need to make the case to them, come follow Jesus. We need to make the case that the Apostle Paul made, come out of the dark and into the light of Christ. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Converge podcast. We are so thankful that you're here. If you could do us a favor, leave us a five-star review. Maybe write a couple of sentences about why you love this podcast. That would go a long way to helping us. Until next time, thanks.